So today we've come together with this firm intention to practice on this uh, Monday, the 22nd of March. And uh, we come, we've done the evening chanting and uh, translated it into Thai as well. And this gives us a good, clear understanding of what it is that we're chanting. We gain this uh, deep knowledge about the goodness, the, the virtues of the Buddha, of the Dhamma, of the Sangha. And this is something that happened and still happens um, every day at Wat Nambapong, at uh, monastery. And they do the chanting with uh, translation into Thai as well. And so we learn about these teachings of the Buddha, this uh, Dhamma which the Buddha taught well already, that even though he passed away into Phanonibbana Nibbana 2,564 years ago, and still his teachings are here with us. And uh, if we practice them, if we humble our hearts towards those teachings, um, then we'll get an understanding into them. And this knowledge, this insight can reach very deeply into our hearts. And it's the mindfulness and the wisdom that we gain from this practice that's able to solve all of the suffering in our hearts. And this happens initially, little by little. So the very heart of the practice, the heart of the Buddha's teachings is that of anatta, of uh, not-self. But this is difficult for us to understand because this feeling of me and mine has been with us for such a long time now. Whenever we have any feeling that comes up, we take that as me and mine. When we're born to this world, um, then a self comes up, and it's my mother, my father, and our parents attach to this being as my child. I have a child now. And uh, it's natural in this state for there to be this self there within the mind. That's very normal. And uh, for these feelings to come up, it's very natural. And this feeling of self, this attachment that we have towards me and mind, is actually what inspires us uh, to uh, make our way in the world, to study when we're younger, to go out and get a job, to have our own family. But the problem is that suffering um, resides along with us as well. And when we're doing this, the suffering appears within our hearts too, from all the anxiety, the worry that we have, from the deterioration of conditioned phenomena. And if we attach to those conditions, then it's me who is deteriorating. I'm getting old, I'm getting sick, I'm getting painful, I am going to die. And if we don't practice the Dhamma, then we live our lives without really knowing anything. There's always a self there. Everything is embedded in the sense of self. So when we get something, when we experience gain, then we're happy. When we experience loss, then we suffer. And Numpucha, he once said that uh, before he established his monastery, Wat uh, Nambapong, which was close to the village that he was born in, uh, Bangor, 
he said that the villagers, when someone died, they would be really distraught. They'd be overcome with grief and they would cry on and on. But after he established his monastery and he was able to explain the Dhamma to the laity, uh, then they gained a level of understanding. They could see to a degree that it's natural for conditioned phenomena to be this way. That it's normal that when someone is born, then they will die. They gain some wisdom and the suffering that they had reduced. So they could see that death is just something that's normal. Uh, but if we don't have wisdom in our minds, then there'll be this constant presence of self there till the very moment that we die. And what should we do about this? Because we can uh, receive these teachings, we can try and instruct ourselves, but our mind just doesn't believe what we hear because it doesn't yet see these things. And so we should come to practice. And then when we practice, then we will experience them, uh, these teachings, to some degree for ourselves. We see that uh, people die, and that's just normal. And that when people die, they're no different to a piece of wood. Uh, when the body doesn't have the mind present within it, then the body is no different to a log. When people come, they take it away, they burn it, or they bury it. And if they bury it, then it uh, deteriorates, it starts to decay. The earth turns back, goes back to the earth. The water flows back to water. And the air goes back to air. The heat goes back to heat. And we can see clearly that there is no self there within it. So we should contemplate in this way consistently contemplate that it's just a collection of elements, that it doesn't have a self there within it, that uh, this body doesn't have a me, it doesn't have a mind, and the mind becomes peaceful through this, so we should train ourselves uh, like this frequently, do it constantly, do it every single day. And then when peace arises in the mind, then we can contemplate again in a way that brings clarity. Um, initially, it comes from this memory that there is no self, uh, that this is not self. Uh, but wisdom through that uh, slowly starts to arise. And uh, little by little, as our practice develops, then our knowledge develops as well. And uh, we can think, well, how is the body that is dead and the body that is alive, how are these things different? one doesn't have air flowing through it and the other does. But who does this air belong to? It's just a part of nature. The breath comes in, the breath goes, and the body's able to stay alive due to this breath. But we can ask ourselves, can we really control these bodies? We don't want for them to get old, we don't want for them to experience pain, right? Uh, we don't want for them to die. And so why do these things happen? Are we able to actually control them? Just like how the Buddha taught the five ascetics, he asked them, this form, this body, is it something stable or unstable? And they answered, it's unstable. He said, well, something that's unstable is that sukha or dukkha. 
And uh, what we mean by dukkha here is, is it something that can endure? Is it endurable? Or does it just change according to causes and conditions? So they answered that this thing is dukkha. It's hard to endure. And uh, so something that is unstable and constant, that doesn't endure, that is natural for that to deteriorate, is it appropriate for us to take that as me, as mine? And they responded that it's inappropriate. This thing is anatta. And their minds gathered together at this point, and they were able to attain, attain to arahantship. Um, initially, they saw the Dhamma, in that they saw into not-self. And uh, before that, however, they were still deluded uh, by the sense of self, that really there was a me and a mind there. But when the Buddha taught them the first uh, sermon, the Dhamma Chakapawatana Sutta, uh, they saw, or through this, uh, uh, could see into this nature of not-self because it's really something that we can't control. They saw this clearly, and they were relieved of their doubts. And then next, they uh, saw the Dhamma, saw into the truth, to even higher levels, more and more clearly, until they could see completely that this thing is anatta, that it really is not self. There's no being, there's no me, there's no mind there. And we all want to see this as well. When we start out in the practice, we have this desire to see it, to see into anatta, but we still have delusion that's covering over our minds. And just like how we come to contemplate our body, and contemplate the hair, for example, and when that when a strand of hair falls off our head, then we can see that that's not me. But all the rest of the strands of hair that's still on our head, we can't understand that that's not me. That thought just doesn't. Um, resound in our hearts. It doesn't feel true. And uh, it's the same with other things, uh, with skin, for example. If a flake of skin falls off, we can see that's not me, but what's left on our body, we take that as being me. All the different organs there within our body, it's just the same. And uh, we can think these things are not me, they're not mine, but it's just not clear, and that's because this isn't coming through wisdom. So we need to train our minds in a meditation practice to bring them to peace, to develop samadhi. And just like anapanasati, watching the breath as it comes and goes. Or we can recite uh, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin, and go through this until our mind reaches peace, until it reaches a state of stillness. And when it's well firmly established in this inner stillness, then from that point we can gain clarity of understanding. The knowledge arises uh, again, a clearer kind of knowledge, that really this thing is not me. We may see that, uh, but at that stage it not, may not be to the level of arahantship. But we are able to destroy some of these wrong views that are deeply embedded within our heart, um, that of sakayaditi, of self-view. And something that's really firmly embedded there that's very difficult to take out. This view that's been in our minds for such a very long time now. That uh, wherever there's attachment of the mind, right there, 
me and mine will come up. And when there's a me that comes up, then this mine arises instantly. It happens so quickly. So we need to come to train ourselves to put effort into this practice so that wisdom can arise for us. And uh, if we're deluded by the sense of self, we need to look into that sense of self that we're deluded by to see into its true nature, see it as being something that's unstable, that's unreliable, that is stressful, that's actually not me. See it in terms of truth, see the Dhamma there within it. And uh, at the time of the Buddha, many people could gain this clear understanding. They listened to the Dhamma, some of them frequently, every day, and uh, they gained an understanding to one level. And we too listen to the Dhamma frequently, and wisdom can arise for us to one level. And uh, when we hear these teachings, then we think about them, we contemplate them over, and brightness can arise within our minds. And we can start to accept their truth. And it can be like we are seeing Nibbana, like these things are very close to us, they're very clear for us. And as we carry on practicing, then peace becomes more firmly established in our minds, knowledge arises. And it's just like how we contemplate to see this body as a collection of elements of earth, water, fire, and air. Uh, We train to do this, uh, we practice in this way. And it's for the sake of bringing about this clear understanding. And when this comes up, then there's a brightness there within the heart. As we carry on contemplating, doing this every day, then this brightness becomes even more and more bright. And we can start to gain a real understanding. But this happens little by little, however. The mind becomes more and more empty. Joy fills up the heart. There's inner stillness there. And we see clearly that this body is not me. And when we gain this clear understanding, then there is a real uh, radiance to the mind, a real brightness and joy to the mind, that uh, we understand things in this way. We're very close to uh, true insight into the Dhamma. And why is that? Well, it's because we have mindfulness, because we have samadhi, and because there is this quality of wisdom arising. And uh, so we come to contemplate again, and we gain uh, this insight in stages. It happens little by little, slowly but surely. It becomes more and more clear. And in the end, the mind separates out from the body, able to see clearly uh, that this thing that we attach to, um, that attachment is what, and the craving is what gives rise to the sense of self. But the mind sees clearly that there is that this thing is not self, and that this experience of not self is actually something that's very good. It's very bright. The mind feels uh, joyous, radiant when it sees that, when it gains that kind of clear knowledge. And from there, the effort that we put in uh, flows naturally. It's not something that we have to control or force. And why is that? It's because this quality of joy, of rapture, is nourishing our hearts. We have this factor for awakening, this bojanga, of piti, of rapture. And when this comes up, then effort arises naturally. And there's also this focus and 
contemplating in two aspects of the Dhamma, uh, this Dhamma Vijaya. And so we do walking meditation, we do sitting meditation, we do this a lot. And for the laity, we do that when you have the opportunity, uh, when you have the time to practice, to do this chanting, um, then you do that. And the effort flows naturally because we already know that this is the path that we need to walk. And the mind won't be so caught into liking or disliking, it'll be more firmly uh, centered within the state of upeka, of equanimity. And we'll really focus on the Dhamma, be going through, analyzing different uh, qualities of Dhamma. And then joy comes up even more fully in the heart. I do a lot of walking meditation, sitting meditation, and the clarity uh, that we gain becomes deeper and deeper until the path gathers together, maga, samaki, these factors of uh, sila, samadhi, and panya come together, and they are all in a complete state. And when they come together, um, all of them in a state of completion, then we gain an understanding, clear understanding into the Dhamma, and the mind terms empty. And uh, we really gain this deep feeling that all these things are not self, and the mind turns empty. So we train ourselves like this until one day this knowledge does arise for us. And uh, we gain this clarity, and this happens uh, frequently. We gain these feelings in our heart frequently. And then knowledge can arise in just an instant. But it's not something that we think about. It's a direct, clear knowing. Seeing for ourselves that uh, this is uh, not self. For those who have a lot of barami, a lot of spiritual maturity, um, they can gain this very quickly uh, from listening to the Dhamma. It's not difficult for them. Uh, just like Venerable Sivali, when he was ordaining, uh, he just had to contemplate a bit into the Dhamma and he could see that, see the truth of not-self. Uh, that as uh, he was having his head shaved, uh, he could attain to uh, all these levels of awakening, of sotapanna, of sakatakami, of anagami, and then anagami. And it shows that his parami was already full. And so how do we do that? How do we create this fullness of spiritual maturity? Well, we need to give rise to it first. We need to increase our faith, increase our efforts. We need to build up the power of our mindfulness, of our samadhi, of our wisdom, to be developing uh, each of these. And each of them has their own function. They all serve their own purpose. Uh, that faith has the duty of faith, effort has the duty of effort. Uh, mindfulness, samadhi, they have the duties of mindfulness and samadhi. That uh, wisdom has its duty to bring about a clear, all-round knowing and knowledge. And when these things develop fully in the heart, um, they all take up and uh, do their duties well. And the mind in the state uh, turns around uh, that all these qualities are, are operating within the mind. 
And uh, at that point, we don't retreat. We have this firm intention to practice because our doubts have been relieved. In the beginning, however, there's lots of doubts um, because the wisdom that we have comes from thinking and this leads to doubt. And just like how if we take uh, 300 cc of blood out of the body, then we can see that that blood that's been extracted is not me. But all the bloody blood that's left in the body, we take that as being me. And uh, as long as there's still some blood in this body, then we'll st- still see that blood is, is being imbued with the self. That there's this deluded feeling there in it. So we need to come and practice in order to give rise to clear knowledge. So some people have wisdom leading the way in their practice. They already have some understanding that uh, this thing is not me, it's not mine. Some understanding that it exists just temporarily in this world, that we just reside here uh, uh, just temporarily for not long. Just like how when we stay in a house that is rented, we know that we have to give it back one day. It doesn't actually belong to us. And so we get the same feeling about our lives in this world, that we've just borrowed this body from nature just for one lifetime. And in no long time, then we have to give it back. We can't keep it forever. But still, there is some presence of delusion in terms of me. But we shouldn't let that be a cause for anxiety. We don't worry about that. But what we do is we take that self to build goodness. We build up goodness for the sake of abandoning self. So we're generous to give up our attachments. We keep virtue in order to gain understanding into the Dhamma. Uh, We keep and we walk this path of sila, samadhi, and panya. So we're not interested in any other form of happiness. What we want is freedom. So when we develop samadhi, that's for the sake of wisdom and not for any other purpose. We develop samadhi so we can understand clearly into this body. And we have this firm intention in this way. And when we do, then in no long time, then we will gain these fruits. Whether we are monastics or laity, now that all of us already have faith. So all we have to do is just need to train some more, to bring in some more effort, to put in our sincerity, to do this morning and evening chanting, to sit meditation, walk meditation, and for the monks to go out in arms rounds, to do our duties and keep the schedule of the monastery. For the laity, keep your duties as well. Go out to work, and when you have the time, then do the morning and evening chanting, sit in meditation. And uh, some people ask, well, if they don't have a huge amount of time to practice, is it still possible to gain these results? Is it still possible to gain wisdom? Well, we have to see what we're doing throughout the day. Because if during our daily lives, our minds are all scattered, thinking all over the place, then when we come in the evening uh, to meditate, it'll be very difficult to gain peace. So we need to be chanting as we're working as well, to have this chant as a way to keep our mindfulness. So the mind isn't always thinking, it's not always getting lost in its narratives, it's not always distracted. Because if it's very chaotic, then that will use up and waste all of the mind's energy. 
And then when we come to sit meditation, it's very difficult for the mind to gather together. But if we're able to stay restrained, to keep our mindfulness through the day, then when we do sitting meditation, walking meditation, then peace is well and easily established in the mind. So we set our intentions um, in this way for the sake of giving birth to wisdom. And when wisdom arises, then liberation also arises. We gain this from our clear seeing. And it happens in an instant. We really see that there is no me, there's no mind here. And uh, we can look into this in the present moment, um, that whenever we have a sensation that arises, we contemplate that. And so there are actually two ways of going about it. Um, When we meet with any moods or emotions or sensations, we can either contemplate or we can go back to our chanting. And if we contemplate, we can see that if someone um, says something to us, that there's no one there who is speaking and there's no one here who is listening. It's just these five khandas, these five aggregates. And there's no me, there's no them or other to it. There's no being, there's no self, there's no other. If someone criticizes us or gossips about us, if someone praises us, um, then we see that there's actually no one there. It's just empty. So we contemplate things as being empty in this way, that everything is just empty, just arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. No me, no other. It's anatta. And the mind becomes very bright. It becomes relieved from its attachments. And uh, when it's able to do this, um, then we become removed from all of these sense impressions uh, because wisdom is arising, this wisdom that gives rise to liberation. And so in contemplating in this way, what we're doing is we're using this wisdom to collect our minds together, using our contemplation to see that there is no uh, me or other there, there's no being, that there's no one who speaks, no one who listens, just a collection of earth, water, fire, and air, just the five khandas, the five aggregates. It's anatta, simply arising and ceasing. And then we get this feeling in our hearts that everything just arises and ceases, arises and ceases. It's all not self. So we should train our minds in this way um, so that wisdom can give birth to samadhi like this. And uh, so this is the practice of wisdom cultivating samadhi. And there are also those who use samadhi first and they're strong in peace of mind. But when we reach the end of the path, then we won't be arguing with one another. Some people are able to use this calm to suppress the defilements um, and to relieve the scatteredness of their mind. And their hearts feel very at ease when they're in the state of samadhi. Other people lead with wisdom, however, and are always contemplating, always looking to see how there's no me, there's no other there. And this is very close to vipassana, to insight. We could call it small insight, but it's the insight that we use to give rise to inner peace. And uh, when we cultivate that well, then the mind gathers together in samadhi, and knowledge arises for us. 
this real wisdom comes up. Uh, So those who cultivate uh, samadhi initially, uh, this also results in wisdom as well, gaining a clear understanding. So real practitioners won't argue about this path of practice. And they won't say that samatha is right or vipassana is right. And they don't argue with one another in this way because they see that it's just this one path, this noble path that the Buddha taught. And when we walk that path, then uh, we are a being walking that one path. So just like how people can separate out into Theravada, Mahayana, that Theravada leads us out of suffering. And Mahayana, it's like the bigger vehicle, the wider vehicle, uh, that they practice for the whole community to be relieved from suffering. But both of these paths leads to uh, wisdom. It's just with Mahayana, they're more focused on cultivating their Bharami first. Uh, cultivating more and more of these uh, spiritual perfections. But in the end, it's just this path of sila, samadhi, and banya. Both of the paths end in liberation from suffering. They're no different. It just depends on what we're intent on doing, on what our aspirations are. And so when we... Oh, sorry, we need to be aware of our own character, of our own disposition. If we're someone who strongly tends towards wisdom, then we use that, we contemplate, and uh, we always look into emptiness, seeing there's no me, there's no other there. And we contemplate uh, like this until we attain to the Dhamma, until we see the Dhamma. So may all of you be intent in this. <laughs>